With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 181 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing very, very good. Um, what's up? We were just sitting in a room together for like a half hour, and so we're pretending like we're just walking into the room together for the first time. Nailed it. Um, I have to talk about this episode because I did this thing, huh? You did. Okay, cool. I'm going to do that now. Uh, today's episode, the main main portion of everything, is an interview I did with young adult debut author F.C. Yee. The name of his book is The Epic Crush of Jeannie Lowe. Uh, it came out earlier this year, I think in August, and it's available now. Obviously, you can go place a hold on it, or you can request your library add it if they haven't already done so. But uh, it's really interesting. It's unique. It's this young adult book, and it's based in Chinese mythology, which is something I know nothing about. Um, all these folk tales from uh, from China. It's really interesting. It's all about uh, this girl who's growing up, and she's in um, the San Francisco Bay Area, and so her family is. It's very high stress. Like the, the author talks about how it's like kind of a, a, a typical. Asian upbringing that people kind of tend to think of like she has very strict parents and um, she's there's a lot of pressure for her to do incredibly well and she is very very talented and she doesn't struggle with too many things like she's kind of a genius and she's very good at volleyball and she just doesn't really know why she's so good at all these things but um, it turns out that she is a part of this Chinese mythology all about the monkey king which is something I knew nothing about um, but the whole book is crazy interesting and it's a lot of fun um and it makes me want to read chinese mythology now which i think is like the best thing i could say about the book is it mm-hmm. makes me want to go back and read the source material so um fce is like a debut author um and it's crazy interesting i think people will really like it it's something i wouldn't have picked up on my own if we didn't uh, get reached out to by the publisher and i'm glad they did that's really good so yeah uh trying to think what else I can tell you about the book without giving too much away. Um, oh, uh, from my uh, kind of the classics, you know, our professional book nerds classic sort of a thing. Um, you can obviously read this book. Like I said, it came out in August. So if your library has it, it may be available. But if there's a waiting list, if you want to get a classic book, uh, the mythology that the, the book comes from is from Journey to the West, which is this 16th century uh, Chinese uh, literature and it's described as one of the four great classic novels of Chinese literature Um, and we have various versions of it on Overdrive if you search for Journey to the West on Overdrive you'll see like the original kind of standard version of it but then you also see graphic novel versions of it and and comics and all sorts of different stuff so um, that's Journey to the West um, again, the, the book we talk about is The Epic Crush of Jeannie Lowe. Uh, so yeah, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that, Joe? 
They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and you can email us directly at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, you can. And also something that I wanted to point out for all of our library listeners, uh, librarian listeners, that is, uh, you may have seen us tweeting about this or you may have seen a, a blog about it. But if you want to add all of our author interviews to your collection and you help run the library's uh, Overdrive stuff, you can find those in Marketplace. It's a simultaneous use plan, but you can literally put all of our interviews into your collection for free. And people can listen to them, and anytime they listen to the podcast through your digital collection, you get checkout numbers, which is pretty cool. So just another way people can can find this. Um, some libraries that have already added it are doing stuff like curating collections and calling it, like, Meet the Author and all sorts of stuff like that. So it'll automatically up, be updated anytime we do additional author interviews, so you don't have to do anything. And like I said, it's simultaneous use, so anyone in your library uh, community can can borrow them anytime they want so yeah um good stuff anything else you can think of we need to talk about no i think that's everything okay awesome well i hope you guys enjoy this interview i did with with fce i almost said with genie low uh, i hope you guys enjoyed this interview i did with fce about his book the epic crush of genie low on the professional book nerds podcast <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Adam again, and today I'm joined by F.C. Yee, who grew up in New Jersey and went to school in New England, but calls San Francisco his home. When he's not writing, he's practicing capoeira and has a day job mostly involving spreadsheets. His debut novel, The Epic Crush of Jeannie Lowe, was named one of Barnes & Noble's most anticipated debut novels of 2017 and is now available, and that is the book we're going to be chatting a little bit about today. So F.C., thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, I have to admit, though, my bio is a little bit out of date because right around the time that uh, the book came out, I ended up moving from San Francisco to Boulder, so I think I have to update <laughs> portion of my website. So, you know what? That that actually makes more sense now because for people who are listening in, we're recording this what I thought would be really, really early your time, um, but it makes a little bit more sense since you're on mountain time, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, yeah. It was it's kind of ironic because the the book is like, hey, here's this book that's a, kind of like a love letter to the San Francisco Bay Area. And by the way, I'm I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> so speaking of that, for uh, people who may not have read the book yet or who aren't familiar, can you kind of give us a breakdown of the epic crush of Jeannie Lo? Sure. The uh, book is about a Chinese American teenager growing up in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area who finds out that she is actually the reincarnation of one of the companions of the legendary Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, one of the most uh, beloved uh, characters from uh, Chinese fiction. Uh, for anyone not familiar with um, Journey to the West, uh, the story that he hails from, Sun Wukong is almost like uh, Hercules and Superman combined in terms of how long he, uh, his story has been around as well as his popularity uh, up until the modern day. Um, uh, uh, Sun Wukong uh, appears uh, in uh, Jeannie's classroom um, under uh, under the guise of a transfer student and lets her know that uh, her hometown is under imminent threat from a demon invasion from Diyu, or Chinese hell, and that she has to unlock the uh, a bevy of superpowers uh, to fight them off, or else uh, California will be ravaged by the legions of hell. I have to say that this book is 
so much fun. I, like from page one, I was in on this idea and, um, you know, kind of the, the Chinese mythology and things that you put in here is something I'm, I was completely unaware of ahead of time. So were these, you know, stories and books, were these things that you read when you were growing up? Or I guess just kind of where did the idea for this come from? So uh, the story that that I, that, uh, I let people know is, is that actually uh, as part of, you know, were these stories an integral part of my childhood? They actually weren't. Uh, my, my experience parallels uh, Jeannie's in the book where it's kind of this part of this her heritage that uh, she didn't really pay a lot of attention to as a child, similar to the way I did. And then that uh, that sort of late in life discovery of of that of of that tradition is uh, provides a lot of you know conflict and humor in the book. And for me, it was a case where uh, I did I did not grow up reading the stories. Uh, I missed out on you know as part of uh, a pretty important part of the you know the Asian American experience, which is actually you know can be typical also uh, for the for uh, you know the, being a child of immigrants and then later on um, as I you know read more fiction and realized you know oh there's this underlying uh, story that that provides a lot of influence um, for a lot of works that I enjoy today and uh, that that uh, experience of making an effort to go back to find the source material uh, was something that uh, I you know I made a I made a deliberate effort to and and sort of rediscovered. Um, I was absolutely helped by a lot of, uh, you know, great works like, you know, Jean Wen Yang's American Born Chinese. Um, uh, a lot, a lot, and, you know, the various adaptations that come out of uh, Asian Asian cinema. So uh, that whole process of kind of like reaching back and, and going, wow, this, this was there the whole time. Uh, both I went through it and, uh, and Jean went through it in the book. And I have to actually to say, you are certainly not alone, as you mentioned, in kind of not reading these uh, as a child. My my wife actually has uh, Chinese heritage in her family as well. And I, when I told her about this, it was something that she was completely unaware of uh, as well. And now she's uh, in turn reading your book. So I think that's pa- paying it forward the right way. But um, when... Uh, when you, you know, kind of discovered, I guess, when did you look into and start reading these books, um, you know, after your childhood? And then what made you want to write uh, a young adult title that would introduce, you know, so many of these characters to people who may not have been aware of the the mythology prior? So uh, as far as for when uh, I, I sort of dove into the source material, it was probably, you know, it was it was probably uh you know uh, only about five or five to seven years ago it was definitely after uh college it was uh definitely after i tried uh my hand at uh, at uh, writing you know comedy and fiction um yeah i was at a point where it's like oh yes i know i know journeys to the west i know these characters i know that you know dragon ball z is loosely based off of it uh, but the thing is but um as far as for um, when it was uh, when I decided no, I, I want to find uh, myself the unabridged translations and read them start to finish. Uh, it was uh, you know uh, I you know to got to admit it was, it was into my adulthood. Um, in terms of uh, what my goals were when writing uh, writing a YA novel, I don't think I set out explicitly to say okay, I am going to to bring this to the YA audience. <laughs> I think it was more of the thinking about uh, writing fiction and thinking, 
I, I, I want to write, I, I love uh, YA novels, I want to write one, and I want to write one that has the elements of, you know, uh, action and drama and surprise that uh, I love. And then I started from that point, and then I think, and I think at some, some point it kind of gelled together, it's like, well, you know, the, uh, uh, this could be a pretty good, you know, a match, uh, pretty good fit here trying to bring in a, an older story into the modern age you know there's there's t- there's tons of precedent for that in uh the YA genre and then it was more like finding that uh finding that opportunity and then running with it rather than having the objective and trying to make it happen from the from the get-go i didn't want to write a fun book <laughs> this, was, this was the perfect vehicle for do, doing it i don't it wasn't so much you know uh try, trying to uh, uh carry forward a, a classic of literature well, no you you certainly wrote a fun book and by the way you mentioned this kind of in passing just there but i never thought about this before i i absolutely can see the journey to the west connection in dragon ball z now that you mentioned that i never would have even thought about that you're absolutely right yeah, yeah. i mean the, the influences are, are are everywhere that's just that's just the one i go to when talking about it which is the, the one that a lot of people might have uh, what it would have heard of. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, 100%. So with the, you know, kind of the connection from Journey to the West and, and your novel, something that happens in here in, in your novel is Jeannie you know, acquires various different uh, powers and abilities. And I'm just curious, obviously, like you said, it's it's inspired by Journey to the West and, and this Chinese mythology, but I, how did you kind of determine what you know, powers and abilities and things she would acquire throughout the story. And, you know, how did you determine, you know, which demons you wanted to highly feature and things like that? I guess, like, how did you shape the fantasy world around this story that already exists? So, uh, a lot of that was, uh, I would say uh, two from two angles. One influenced by this uh, source material. So as far as for you know what Jeannie can do, um, it was it was uh, fairly it was you know fairly simple to go back to what um, I won't spoil it, but what her her character in her past life could do in mm-hmm. uh, Injury to the West and draw from there. And there's also uh, you know the comic book nerddom uh, thing of trying to figure out okay, well if she can do that, she must also have this kind of secondary power and throwing that and. Throwing that in, uh, throwing that in there. Um, but, uh, a lot, another, the, but the other point of what, uh, of what, uh, uh, I determined she could do is also to serve the, the sort of the drama and psychology of, of action, of action scenes. I, I, I'm a big fan of, of, um, of, uh, action movies and, uh, you know, Hong Kong action movies and, uh, things with lots of martial arts fight scenes and, uh, what makes a good, action sequence and action movie is sort of the psychology and limitations of what goes in there which are you know dictated by what uh, the characters can or uh, can or cannot do it's like for example like I think of this one classic where two experts are fighting it out but they have they but the context is that they must disguise that they're actually having a fight the entire time <laughs> a couple of onlookers are just milling around so when you look at it from like what serves the um what serves the purpose of the fun of the story or the, the or the arc of the story? Um, that was uh, I played highly into what uh, Jeannie couldn't couldn't do. I wasn't going to let her do. I would give her a power that just blows over the the uh, the, the tension in in those types of things. As far as for uh, what uh, demons and monsters to include, um, 
there there's definitely a pecking order in the source material of <laughs> which ones resonate uh, with a fan which ones are the most um popular and get adapted to the extent that i think like i, I have a i have a abridged copy where uh, the translator is just like well i'm gonna throw out all these you know i'm just all these demon encounters and just stick with the ones that are the most awesome <laughs> you know, uh, to a certain extent there's there there, there there's some of that um if you get uh, fans of the original material will know oh oh they, there's the heavy hitter coming in like, for example the um you know, the, uh, there's one, uh, the White Bone Demon, mm-hmm. uh, which is prominent enough uh, in the original story that some folks who've seen it, who've read it, would understand, like, oh, yeah, yeah, because she's, like, the only one who ever really got one over <laughs> on Sun Wukong. And, uh, but for, and the, the I think some of the challenge was for uh, people who have not been familiar with it, it was to portray the, the fact that, you know, this particular one is a demon is one to be feared. Um, and uh, partly, uh, again, the source material helps, but also trying to set up that sort of um, character reactions and hierarchy uh, was part of the uh, part of the solution uh, as well. Um, and I think, and also uh, there, there's so also some so there's also the uh, fact that you know some of the, some of them I could kind of reimagine their appearance a little. Uh, 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 easier than than others, and to put my own twist on it, so, so that played a part in it as well. You you just touched on something that you do an incredibly uh, you do a really good job in, where you said you know uh, bringing in the story to for people who are unfamiliar with the source material. Um, you do a really good job of describing, like you said, which, you know, demons are to be feared and kind of putting in the background. So when you're dealing with something that, um, you know, like a story like Journey to the West, which is incredibly well known, but maybe not in the audience that you're reaching out to, was there a part of you when you were writing it that was trying to determine like, okay, how much of the actual source material do I need to put in here? So this makes sense. Like, was it a, a thought of, you know, making sure you put enough of the actual book and, and Jeannie interacting with the book so that it made sense. Was that something that you were thinking about while you were writing this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, the whole issue of how to uh, bring in the, the story, introduce people to the uh, to the main points of, of it who weren't familiar with. I actually wasn't even, wasn't even confident uh, in the ability to execute on the book until I came to a solution for. Uh, for that, um, like there was a state very, there was a state where, um, the chapters of Genie, uh, encountering, uh, when those existed, but nothing existed of how to introduce the story and it, it was kind of stuck there for, um, for a while. So I absolutely, uh, struggled, uh, with that. I think what started was, uh, when I decided to apply the, story through the modern filter of Jeannie encountering the story and what's her reaction to the story. So mm-hmm. there are parts of, there, you know, there are parts of it where she's reading, where she's learning about it. And she's like, wow, you, like, you all, you all are a bunch of jerks, <laughs> uh, which is very true for, uh, you know, a modern reader going straight to the under, underbridge stuff. So uh, once I decided to, uh, I think I've said this before, but once I decided to apply the original story to like, you know, the Jeannie filters through the eyes of the main character, um, the challenge was, you know, became a lot easier uh, on that front. And then then the, then the rest of the book uh, followed from there. 
So it, it's it sounds like from a, a writing standpoint, you were very much a, a plotter as opposed to a, a pantser, as people say, kind of, you know, just going from word one and going on. It sounds like you probably had a fair amount of the story structure kind of put together before you actually, you know, went and tackled the story as a whole. I think I, I would I would probably describe the, the approach as a little bit of a mix. Um, the uh, the mentality of make one plan and then and then and then see just see, see how it goes from there. Don't be afraid to uh, deviate uh, from that. I think I forgot uh, there might be uh, that might be I, that might be like the, one of the slogans of maybe the Marines or something. It's like make one plan. <laughs> you know, don't 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 be like a don't be beholden to it. Just you know, it's it's the plan. It's the act of making the one plan. Is what what helps you, and then and then from the from the rest, you know, don't be afraid to uh, see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. So. And then, as a writer, I, I'm always fascinated by people who you know have a full time job and are also a writer. So for you, what was the writing the, the process of writing? You know, did you? give yourself like okay i need to hit this many words every single day and i'm doing it in the evening after work but i guess like maybe take me through how you actually wrote this book because it never ceases to amaze me people can have a full-time job and also do this herculean task of writing a story well uh well to preface it i have to admit that i don't have that that balance completely uh <laughs> figured out um, in terms of like the actual process schedule wise, I would just wake up really early in the morning and, uh, write as much as I, uh, could. Um, I didn't time really give myself a word counter time boxing, which meant, uh, you know, this, the, the, the first book, uh, I took longer than the amount of time I have left to, uh, <laughs> finish and deliver the sequel, which is, which is what I'm working on right now. But, uh, so the approach there is just to use, at the same technique, except uh, more intensely, <laughs> wake up earlier, more, <laughs> more words per hour. Um, we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. But uh, in, um, and I, I think that whole process did force me to become a morning person mm-hmm. uh, to give my uh, best, earliest, and most caffeinated hours over to uh, the book, and then the rest of the day was just you know uh, was um, uh, my day job. Um, I. Uh, it's pretty much as straightforward as that. There's probably no more. You know, I don't. I wouldn't claim, try to claim that there was any more complicated interplay. Like, oh yeah, a creative outlet and totally <laughs> one mode, the other mode. Probably not. It's more like just I, I, I woke up earlier, <laughs> drank more coffee. Do you um? Do you remember about how much time it took you to write the the manuscripts? I gotta say it was probably about uh, two years or two uh, two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it. I didn't. So I did it while like kind of tossing around other manuscript ideas as well in various states of completion. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to get, you know, G.G. Lowe's like the sixth book I've, re- I've written. The other <laughs> five are all awful and you know, never saw the light of day for a reason. Um, but the but tossing around projects, uh, you know, I think I at least got better at the process of it over time and felt and uh, understood what finishing a project felt like. So by the time that uh, Gene Lowe came around and I thought I had something there. Uh, I understood what it was to finish a, a manuscript all the way to um, the end, and uh, yeah, went uh, went from there. Yeah, um, and so you you mentioned kind of earlier that your childhood sort of mirrored Genie's in the sense that it was very 
uh, you know, I'm assuming very structured around, you know, getting your work done and extracurriculars and things like that. But were you always uh, a reader as a young kid as well? Yeah, uh, there was a, so uh, there was a phase, um, what's funny is that the intent with that my life would be very structured about, you know, measurable accomplishments. I think I, I kind of tangented off some uh, at some point. My parents <laughs> probably just threw, up, threw their uh, hands in the air at, at, at some point as well. But the as far as for, um, you know, uh, being a, a reader, yeah, there was a time in my childhood where I was an extremely voracious reader. I would clean out the... I would uh, come home from the library with laundry baskets full of books. And then, <laughs> then there was at some point where um, I unfortunately kind of just like lost interest in in reading and and didn't uh, uh, keep up as much uh, with uh, you know literature as uh, as uh, you know maybe my parents or teachers would have hoped. But then there was a period which I went back got back into it. Uh, you know when I was older with uh, with. Uh, Almost as much intensity as um, I was as I had as a child. So that period of you know <laughs> almost being sort of feeling like a prodigal son and coming back to books. <laughs> uh, there was that period, and it felt great to come uh, come back. And you know, I never wanted to leave the uh, loving embrace of, of books again. So yeah, um, you mentioned that you you know obviously you've written a, a YA novel, and you said that you enjoyed reading them. Are there any kind of off the top of your head that you've enjoyed lately? Any particular books that have uh, kind of stuck with you? Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. Um, on the sort of the contempor- on the contemporary side, in uh, in then. Uh, Kind of like the romantic sphere mm-hmm. and and comedic sphere. Uh, Marine Goose, I believe in that thing called love. I read that earlier uh, this year. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, and the science uh, science fiction side, uh, Axios, uh, uh, Rebel Soul. Uh, yeah, it's got everything I love: uh, action, adventure, drama, giant robots. Um, <laughs> I just finished um, uh, Tenderest Blake's. Uh, uh, Three Dark Clowns, the two books that uh, are out right now, and, and those, the, um, the whole, uh, <laughs> over, the, the inescapable foreboding, uh, it's just, it, uh, I love it, I, you know, <laughs> even though it's, you know, it can be painful what it does to, to me as a reader, um, also in that sense of, uh, foreboding and, oh, this can't end well, but I can't turn away, uh, Julie, uh, Julie C. Dow is forced to the Thousand Lanterns, um, I could, uh, the, uh, it's, it's a retelling of the evil queen of Snow White, so you know, mm-hmm. it's not, nothing's gonna end well, <laughs> but, but it's going to be awesome! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I could, off the top of my head, of just like, you know, where, where I am with my, uh, with, with my Kindle right now, that's, uh, that's probably a pretty good list. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I just, I, I, I put you on the spot, you, and you, you know, blew it out, knocked it out of the park, so well done. Um, so when, when you're not, working or writing i can't imagine you have too much free time but when you do have free time what do you like to do to kind of unwind and relax um i try to try to stay uh, active as much as i can so uh, i uh, did a lot of uh, capoeira in san francisco uh these days having just relocated to colorado i'm diving headfirst into the boulder lifestyle i'm uh, i'm um doing a lot of i, I, I rock climb mm-hmm. during my lunch break uh I'm taking a, a 
what can be best be described as kind of like a holistic movement class. So <laughs> very, very, very Boulder, very Colorado. I'm loving it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I just try to stay as active as I can because, you know, my other, my other livings and hobbies, you know, it's, it's in front of a computer and <laughs> down. So, so did you say that you rock climb yeah. on your lunch break? Yeah, there's a bouldering gym, uh, just, uh, only a few minutes away from my office. So I just, uh, leave during lunch, uh, go walk over, put on my climbing shoes, uh, you know, chalk up my hands and then, and then just start climbing. Uh, I'm very, I'm very bad at it, but the great <laughs> thing about this sport seems to be how accessible <laughs> it is. They don't care. It's just like everyone, hey, just get, get up there. Get on that wall. Oh, man. I, so that's actually something I've always wanted to do is do rock climbing, but I live in Cleveland. We don't. I mean, we have some hills. I do not have mountains. And so because of that, we don't have any rock climbing places. So I am eternally jealous that you have that right across the street. Oh, we are spoiled for, we are spoiled for choice out here. I, I, one time I went to, to my gym on my lunch break, but made a wrong turn and like a slight wrong turn and walked into a completely separate, unaffiliated rock climbing <laughs> by accident. So I was like, what, what is this? It's popping up like weeds out here. So have you, have you done any like rock climbing like outside of the gym yet? Like, I, you know, actually gone up mountains or done anything in the area not really so what, what's funny about uh the, the number of options we have is it caters to my uh it caters to my need to kind of like stay indoors where it's warm <laughs> as well as to, to handle the physical activity so like hey there's there's really good completely indoor gyms if you don't want to see the light of day <laughs> technically <laughs> don't have to um I'm sure I will. I will expand, you know, my horizons to getting outdoors. It's too beautiful out here not to. Yeah. So I'll just get over that indoor bookwormish event. Oh soon. man, that's so funny. Um, okay, so towards the end of our interviews, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine. These are just kind of nine lighthearted questions. Um, so I don't have to put too much thought into them. So the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Oh, the last book uh, I finished reading, um, it's got to be either the, one of the ones I mentioned, um, but uh, I can, uh, it was in nonfiction, it was a history, it was a history of the grand strategy of the Byzantine Empire. Um, so that was, that was a, that was a big one. Uh, in fiction, it probably was, I think, uh the uh the third in the magician's trilogy by mm-hmm. Love Grossman because uh at least in the in the adult fiction sphere I love those books so much that I, I reread those quite a bit mm-hmm. and and uh, they're also um kind of coincidental it's like a source of inspiration as far as for jerks named Quentin go as I've told that joke before. So. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. do you have a favorite place to read? Uh my favorite place to read is probably wherever uh I am the cafe where I'm working. I'm supposed to, where I'm supposed to be writing, and I'm taking a break and <laughs> reading, reading instead of writing and finishing my 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 own book with oh, its looming deadlines. That's so. funny. Um, do you remember the book that made you kind of fall in love with reading? Fall in love with reading. The earliest ones I can uh, remember uh, being a super fan of were. Weirdly enough, the um, so Matt Christopher series of sports books. Yeah, uh, as a, as a child, even though even though I didn't, uh, I wasn't I wasn't like uh, super into athletics. Uh, I loved everything uh, about those books. Uh, I remember reading, uh, like, oh yeah, 
uh, baseball, ho- hockey, yeah, I've never <laughs> stepped foot in an ice rink yet, but hockey, yeah, and uh, so th- those books, I remember having uh, stacks of them in, in my crates I was taking home, so yeah. That is amazing, you are one of the first people who has ever referenced those books, and my brother and I have like every single one of them, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, they're amazing. They're so, so good. Um, what is one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? I would say, um, lo- I would say, uh, lo- I think London or Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't been to, for whatever reason, um, when I've gone to, on the occasions where I've been uh, fortunate enough to get to go to, the, to go to the you know European continent, I've always gone to like. Like the like a like a second kind of largest city, but not, not uh-huh. the largest one. So I I feel like I should go to one of the uh, the biggest possible European city I could I could go to. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Favorite holiday to celebrate. Um, funny enough, I, like uh, I'm not gonna. It's it's not necessarily. Uh, Halloween, which should should be my obvious choice, <laughs> but uh, this sounds this sounds really lame. But I really kind of like Labor Day because Labor Day arrives <laughs> for whatever reason just at the right time to calendar when I need it. <laughs> I'm usually for whatever reason just really fried at the end of summer due to you know work or whatever, and and just a day off with no obligations just really is the spot. Uh, so. That's awesome. I you I think you might be the first ever person to say Labor Day, so I like it. I love it. <laughs> Um, I think I know the answer to this, given your early mornings, but are you a coffee person or a tea person? A, uh, I, I like both, uh, but I, I usually rely on coffee to power me through. But uh, this came this came up like a lot uh, where I've, <laughs> I've sort of gotten some good-natured flack over, over this, especially from, you know, uh, Asian readers where people <laughs> assume that I dislike bubble tea or, uh, uh, <laughs> or boba. Actually, you can tell that... There's, there's actually a slight um, uh, inaccuracy uh, in there that you can, because I grew up in the East Coast, I call it bubble tea, and, and then Jeannie did, which technically if she grew up in, I think if she grew up in California, she would have, would have called it boba. But uh, people think I don't like it because she doesn't like it. I only made her not like it because it's funny. But uh, <laughs> I, I personally like it very much. Well, I, I will say um, in uh, in Cleveland, where I'm from, we actually have a pretty nice <clears throat> little area of our, of our city that is kind of like an, an Asia town. And so we call it bubble tea as well. And I did very much enjoy the idea of her not liking it. it I, I laughed a lot when I read that. So it, it definitely yeah, it landed. <laughs> Yeah, it was absolutely just kind of like, a, hey, it would be funny, but uh, yeah. I, got, I, got, I got some side eye there. <laughs> pretty so... important part of a pretty important part of the scene. So. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Uh, the I think um, both actually. I really, I really, to the extent that I really like, uh, I really like love animals, but I, I highly doubt my ability to properly take. Uh, take care of one so I love both you know other people's dogs and other people's cats mm-hmm. so absolutely both um, do you have a favorite food oh it probably varies by uh, whatever uh, you know by uh, whatever uh, mood uh, I'm in, I, I'm in uh, at, the, at the moment um, so it, that's one of those things it's like hey do you have a favorite author it's like ah too many to name <laughs> Uh, I can tell you, like right now, I, I am missing um, 
uh, certain elements of uh, Asian Asian cuisine being out here in Boulder. It's not quite the same as uh, the Bay Area, but that's only uh, kind of increased my uh, dedication to, to learning how to cook cook all the things I miss <laughs> properly. So that's my next. Uh, that's going to be that will probably be one of my big upcoming hobbies. Nice. Um, and then the last one is: if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Ooh, that would. That would be tough. Uh, I, I, I don't have a. I don't have a, a good solid go-to. Um, good solid go-to answer for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always get yelled at for this. I'll be honest. Yeah, I know because this is the one where it's like you, the, after like five minutes after the interview, you're like, "Damn it, I had one, <laughs> I had one." Um, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna be again be uh, super lame. I was, uh, I was joking with someone about this uh, about like, oh, I, I like we wish we could afford uh, a share of uh, Berkshire Hathaway to go to Warren Buffett's party in Omaha, <laughs> his, his stockholders meeting. But like, <laughs> but, oh my god, they're so expensive. It'll never happen. So just because just because I was joking about that recently, it'll be nice to uh, have lunch with Warren Buffett without having to buy one of his. <laughs> no that that is a perfect answer so all right my last question for you before i let you go what do you hope readers take away from reading your book oh uh it sounds kind of uh, this sounds kind of dire especially given the the funny nature of the book and you know the general you know overall um Upbeatness I normally try to portray, but at least as far as for you know, to uh, teen readers, to um, to uh, uh, that you know, it, it, it can be it can be tough you know out there uh, with all the demands being placed uh, on you. The, I mean, this book addresses a very particular sort of of uh, demand placed on kids. It, it, you know, the academic focus and whatnot, and it's and it's. And it speaks, and it speaks, you know, to a very, you know, a specific culture and geographic area. But the thing, but the, um, but you know, there's so many other challenges out there. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be to the readers. You know, it's going to be tough, and you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be strong. But uh, to, to on the more positive note, you know, you do have folks uh, with your best, uh, you know, intentions at heart who who see you and who care about you and will support you through all the uh, challenges uh, through, uh, you know, in, in all the different little or big ways that uh, they can. So, so yeah, it, it, while it'll, it'll be tough, but, uh, but, you know, you're, you know, you're loved and uh, people, people have your back. That's perfect. FC, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me. Uh, this was, this was great fun. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you so much. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.